Hi, y'all. You're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. My guests today have worked in the music industry for so many years that you may have sang along with their voices without even realizing it. Seth and Nerva Reddy have lent their rich, soulful sonics to such artists as Kirk Franklin, Toby Mack, CeCe Winans, Rachel Lampa, Chris Tomlin, Donnie McClurkin, and many others. The couple have also released their own material and host an in-depth nearly graduate school level exploration of faith podcast called Free Minds. Seth and Nerva agreed to pull their lawn chairs up to the wood pile today to talk about their own personal histories, music industry insights and adventures, struggles to navigate the conflicts of the day within and outside the church while maintaining grace for their fellow man and several other topics that meandered in and out of our conversations. So my first question would be, how, how were each of you raised when it came to faith? And was there a point when you had to make that decision like, okay, uh, I'm going to stay with this? Or at time, did you have doubts? Good question. Okay. I was raised in a very nominal Christian, barely Christian home. It didn't touch our lives. I, we went to a Catholic church. It was a Haitian Catholic service on Sundays. And so grew up in the south side of Chicago. My parents um, came to America in the late 70s and stayed, remained in the Haitian community. And it was awesome. I, I might have um, taken it for granted back then, but to, looking back on it now, it's like what an awesome, rich cultural experience it was. But when we went to church, you know, all the kids would just kind of hang out together and paid little attention to the teachings. And so it didn't touch our lives throughout the week. We just kind of lived however we wanted to. There was a reverence and sometimes a fear, but not a real knowledge or relationship. When I went off to college, I remember joining a gospel choir. I'd love to sing at that point, And I'll never forget um, the, the songs were very moving. I began to um, study the word for the first time, and I realized, okay, this is something I I really need. Um, it's it's healing, it's life here, and so I just sought answers. I began to ask questions amongst my friends who are Christians. I went to teachers, and I I think that very choir had gone to a revival um, one day in Nashville, like a, um, I think there was a speaker actually from TD Jakes' church who was in town, and I heard the gospel message. And I ran to that altar at that point. I think my parents had divorced. There was some brokenness. And I was just starting to have these cycles of cycles of brokenness. I, mm-hmm. I don't know, just bad habits of seeking wrong kinds of relationships, looking mm-hmm. for significance in the wrong places. And so that began my true journey. Um, not that I understood everything at the time, but there was a seeking and a real understanding of Christ. He is it. He is Lord. And so that's how I, I think begin to own it for myself, that process of, okay, this is a real thing I really need to pursue and have at the core of my being. 
Yeah, for me, I definitely grew up in a in a Christian home. I'm thankful, thankful for that. I had a strong Christian family that took the faith very seriously. We were we just happened to be in the more you know charismatic side of things. Um, and our particular version of that charismatic side of things was not so much into critical thinking when it came to like Christian worldview and that kind of thing. It was there was an emphasis on experiencing God and walking with him and dedicating everything you have and like doing everything you you do from that perspective of like, man, we're living our lives for God. And that was awesome. And I did actually have amazing experiences with God in that context. But uh, thankfully, I met a guy uh, during that because I I began to really I just always would have these questions, you know, just kind of analytical in that way. And so I'd I'd have these questions that would bug me and sometimes haunt me. There was one guy in our church that was into Josh McDowell, who was like the lone apologist back in the day. Oh, yeah. And so he would uh, he would pass me some of those books and I would just, you know, tear into them. There was a guy named John Ankerberg as well that was doing some work. So I just began to really read these things. But it it was like. I think because I, in, in a sense, I didn't have a lot of people around me helping me with that. I became this kind of lone ranger mm-hmm. um, in that, and it was not probably the most healthy thing. So for me, it was it was more of a struggle than it probably needed to be, but it really haunted me on and off. I was a leader in the youth group, and I remember even leading worship for camps as I was getting into college. But I'd get done leading worship, and I would you know, think, man, I don't even know if any of this stuff is true. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I wish I could just believe it, but I'm, but I'm really struggling to believe that this, the Bible's true. And then I was, you know, and taking biology, how do I, how do I mix this with what I'm learning about the age of the earth and the, the history of, you know, biology on the earth and all that, all those kinds of things. And so really, even into our marriage, I was um, I was really struggling on and off, but but also still pursuing the Lord. So it was it was kind of this wrestling that I was experiencing. And then when Nerva and I like it was something we didn't talk about a whole lot at first because she didn't come from that background um, for her. Her journey with the Lord was different than mine. So mm-hmm. I felt like it was it was hard for me to explain that struggle. And it was hard for her to kind of understand it in a way that didn't make her fear which I could totally understand because I think if she was saying that to me, I, I probably would have been fearful too. <laughs> like, hey, I don't know if I believe this stuff and I, I don't know if we can trust the Bible. Eventually, like God began to open the door of communication between us. And thankfully through, I, I, I randomly went to this apologetics conference in, in Rhode Island by myself because I was like, man, I got to I gotta go meet some people and, and, and see if, I don't know, I just felt drawn to go. I came across a table from Biola University and they were advertising their new distance learning program. This is before like online schooling really took off, you know. Mm-hmm. I saw this program for a master's in science and religion or a master's in apologetics. And I was like, oh man, all my heroes, the people I read all the time, JP Moreland, Wheeling, Craig, all these guys are professors there and this will be amazing. So nervous says i didn't tell her about it i thought i I think i remember telling her about it nope (laughs) Uh, but i i signed up for school Uh, (laughs) she says without telling her and then so i immersed myself in this but the the awesome thing was it gave me some um really some guides for the first time in life uh I, i i got some help in that way and then i came across this little dvd or cd series from dallas willard called knowing christ today and for some reason that came like became like a a magnet drawing me and nerva together because that was the first guy she could listen to that i listened to that she actually enjoyed and appreciated yeah and so through that process i think it really began to help us 
become more one in our in our spiritual journey mm-hmm. and that was part of the, the initial process of really helping me to come to be more confident in my faith to a degree that you know obviously don't have all the answers i still have a document on my computer called bag of questions that i'll put <laughs> stuff in but it, it gave me enough solidity to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I'm confident enough in the central central truth claims of Christianity that I can base my life on it and I can work through the rest of the stuff as I you know, face it throughout my life. Yeah, I don't know if you can imagine this, but back then it was sort of like, and I don't know how we missed this in marriage counseling, but like I was totally <laughs> woman that art loose T.D. Jakes and he's all the way with Lee Strobel, uh-huh. Case for Christ. <laughs> and I was like, how we made it, I'm not sure. <laughs> But, you know, I think because we had the makings of the sincerity of true seeking and whatever spoke to us that just really um, reeked of Christ, we found attractive. And from that, we began to kind of build together, I think. And that was that was a saving. (laughs) That's what God did. A a deep down work in both of us concerning that. So I know a little bit of your story and you met in the music industry. So you both entered the music industry separately. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. We had both been in the industry in different parts and then finally met years in after that. I was immersed in the CCM industry and Seth was totally in the gospel world. If you look at us, you would think the opposite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that's how we met at a um a mutual friend introduced us. We were both performing. We made careers out of singing background for Christian artists and gospel artists. And a mutual friend introduced us in San Diego at a Billy Graham crusade backstage. And that's how we met for the first time. Nerva, who did you start off singing for? By that point, when I met Seth, I was singing for Toby Mack. Living in Nashville, I had um, sung with people like Don Natalie Grant, Rachel Lampo back then. Lots of there was lots of opportunities to do studio work from Chris Tomlin to um, lots of names. But yeah, but at that point, Toby Mac had joined his band and become a member of Diverse City. So I had been traveling him with some for some years at that point. Right, and Seth, you know, kind of a wild story that I was in college, like I said, at Southeastern uh, AG School and. Lakeland, Florida, and I was a math major, but I made a demo, got passed to a guy who passed at Kurt Franklin. I got hired and <laughs> kind of left left where I was and went on the road with him for a while, a guy named Donnie McClurkin, like heavy in the gospel world. And then um, once I met Nerva, I started kind of getting involved with some more C- CCM, Christian contemporary music elements as well, and started mm-hmm. traveling a little bit with Chris Tomlin and, and then my buddy uh, Travis Cottrell and, and doing the Beth Moore events and all that kind of stuff. So. to downplay it we i loved it like during those years you the aim was to be able to do music full-time and not have to work a a nine to five but um over the years you you make relationships and you meet people and it finally god opens the doors for you to do that and so um i really enjoyed that time that experience it wasn't all perfect Mm -hmm. 
but it was it's something you kind of remind yourself this is what i pray for <laughs> and right. so it, god causes it to come true so yeah it was amazing man it was like i mean it was the way i got hired and all that kind of stuff it was definitely it seemed to be one of those extraordinary yeah. providences of god rather than just kind of a normal occurrence it was like pretty wild circumstances for both of us and we yeah. really really loved it and look back on it and, and appreciate it and learn so much from it and it were, but we're also kind of glad to be you know to have moved where we are now these right. days so what were some of the things in the industry that you found like maybe uh, very surprising, something you didn't expect, but also how did it help you grow? Well, like it's a music industry, right. so it's it's a business, it's Christian, it's music, and depending on where you're planted it's like what we i was a background singer so i got to work up close with some of my favorites and people that i really admire and then um being behind the scenes and seeing a lot like how i mean a, a tour is from start to finish put together or an artist that's signed from from day one and they become like a a, a huge uh, name, household name. And so being up close and seeing all of that is, is I think it's a, is a true opportunity. It's a treasure. And then sometimes you're, you're seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, right. you know, and to you, you realize that people aren't any more empowered than the next person to truly live and believe what they profess. Mm -hmm. And so um, I learned quickly that there was a tendency, if if you're not careful, to want to be the next so-and-so or to be up close to the next so-and-so or to mimic the world and to, um, there seemed to be, you know, conversations like, why why is the Christian music industry always mimicking? There's a right. there's a Christian Adele uh, and then there's a Christian, you know, uh, what, what have you. And so there was a tendency to, you, you know, you're, you're serving Christ, so you can't just pursue worldly things, but you can do it safely in a Christian way, that whole temptation. But I think it empowered me to, to choose for myself, okay, what kind of artist or what am I going to pursue in my heart? What will I allow to be my motives? You had to cultivate gratitude because I think um, being ungrateful was the, the the fox that would constantly um, destroy um, any any soul, any team, any ministry. I loved it because it was the Christian music industry mm -hmm. and at the same time there was there was moments where cancer would try to creep into any right. camp or any For artist. Sure. You'd meet someone that was just awesome and great in their field and you sensed a um a longing a, a a sense of yearning in their soul that they wanted more and i think um you would see that they would seek it that that fulfilling in the industry and it never ever worked i look back at my life and i, I feel like i've had sort of a forest gump kind of <laughs> <laughs> experience where i've had opportunities i've had no business there were far greater um talented people but i think god allowed me to experience those things up close to, to, to really learn and to grow and have fun and and to be grateful for it but it certainly is 
a, a thing where it's the best thing in the world for you, depending on your, your heart posture or the worst thing in the world for you, depending on your heart posture. Sure. For me, thankfully, I feel like all the people that we worked with were sincere mm-hmm. believers. So occasionally, you know, there are those people that you feel like are, are merely, you know, hirelings, like they're just trying to get paid and they're using the Christian industry for their own ends. But, you know, for us, the people we worked with, I think they were they were they were sincere and flawed and awesome. And, sure. you know, all that kind of stuff rolled up in, in one. But some of the stuff that we learned was was sort of what she said is like, man, it can be a real temptation to want to be a Christian celebrity because of all mm-hmm. the perks that come with that and want to make this money and live this kind of life. And, and it's real easy to get distracted uh, and, and to begin to compromise in the small areas mm-hmm. um, when it comes to like really being a person who's willing to speak the truth when you when you need to and, and being a person who's willing to stand for righteousness in an unpopular way. You know, we learned good work ethic from a lot of these guys. They were consistent and faithful. They really um, worked on their craft. You know what I'm saying? That Like many of these guys, they could do stuff as well as people that were outside of the Christian mm-hmm. music world. And so that was a big thing. Like they, uh, we would, you know, I'd watch Kirk in the studio produce this song, you know, and take 12 hours, eight days in a row. And you're like, man, the kind of the meticulous nature of it. Like I learned a lot from him on that. We watched Toby do the same thing. Yeah. We'd go back and, you know, scream her guts out singing this chorus <laughs> for five hours. Then they'd say, oh, can you come back tomorrow? We change the key. Oh, no. <laughs> It's, uh, it's like, For sure. you know, just learning what it takes to do something at that level yeah. um, was really good. Nerva often talks about on the other side that again can be good or bad and just a lesson we all learn as human beings but like it's the little decisions you make over time that, that, that determine the nature of the thing you're building and so how are you building um we've watched people that have built well over the years and and they've now created this thing that you know if you thought of it organically like a tree that bears much fruit and gives shade to mm-hmm. birds or if you thought of it like a massive building that people can come and live in and, and have businesses in but then you see the other one where it's they built something and then it's completely demolished in a moment and what seems like a moment but it was all these little decisions on the way there that actually it was it was rotten in the foundation from the beginning but nobody saw it till it all kind of imploded and so we've, we've seen a lot of that as well. And we've tried to say, OK, what were those practices that they either put in place or didn't put in place that led to their demise? And then what are the practices that the guys that have built well, what are those things that they did and how can we do that as well on our end? you guys started getting billed as like a duo apart from being background singers although 
I think that's why I first maybe noticed your names. It was like Toby Mac featuring Seth and Nerva or something like that. Um, was that something y'all had always wanted to do together, or or was that somebody's idea? Like, hey, you guys are married. You guys should sing. You should be like Sonny and Cher. And there you go. Right. Like nice references. <laughs> that that actually started uh, when we were friends. We were hired together um, as as we friends of ours would hire us to do background singing on a project. And mm-hmm. so we actually started singing together before we dated. And so when by the time we married. We both enjoyed it, but let's see what made us decide. Yeah, we never, for some reason, it just it organically it didn't dawn on us. Like I had been pursuing like a solo thing true, for years, and true. Nerva had even had a, a yeah. like an artist development deal go to like yeah. back in the day, but mm-hmm. we never put like you know two and two together. Even though right, it was kind of hey, like we should do this together, but we should. Yeah, so we 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 went we moved from Nashville to Florida to true. work at a university. And it was during that time, like when we left there, some songs we were going to help the kids do. They were like, you know what? Let's just do What this. if we did the songs? Like we've been doing stu- studio work together all these years and we, we work well together. Let's just uh, let's do these songs together. See what mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. So we did it. And that, that ended up being our first EP. Um, I okay. think it's called I Need You, right? Yeah, 2014. Um, and so we made that. And that was what got passed to uh a guy, I guess his wife heard it online or something and passed it to an A&R to Integrity. Mm-hmm. And so he called us and was like, hey, man, you know, want to sign you guys. Here's the vision for the album and da, da, da. And so from there, it kind of like like went to the next level. And it was, yeah, amazing. Like it just mm-hmm. became something that we really were like, oh, wow, this is we love this. We're wired for this. I think this is part of our calling. And it's been, you know, we're to this day still still doing stuff together and it's one of our favorite things to get to do i remember the guys in toby's band saying to me you have fun with us but you're a different person when you're with seth huh. and at that point i realized okay there's there's uh something god wanted to do in our marriage mm-hmm. ministry wise that i felt okay i know that i'll reach a point where i have to eventually step down but i think when a label um, approaches you. And up to that point, we had been singing together. We had done ministry together. We'd go out together and, and put on concerts and certainly was serving the church at that point. But um, when a label signs you, they expect you to go out and really promote the project. Sure. But was the problem at that point was I was still in Toby's band. And so when we had uh, tours and concerts, there were times where I'd have to turn down opportunities with Seth and I because I was on tour. Mm. And then I realized, okay, I, I probably need to make a decision. And we both decided together, okay, it's time to step down and just pursue Seth and Nerva. And Seth is the captain of my ship, not this other thing here. So. Right. <laughs> when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my I was in a rural king and I heard it played on the overhead was brother. And uh, I thought, that's that's great. And it seemed to be apropos for the times, especially with all the, you know, the 2020 meltdown. You mind talking about how that song came about and what was the response that you got from it? 
we were on Integrity, mm-hmm. and there was another group on Integrity at the time called The Brilliance, and one of the guys, and it's a duo guy group, and one of the guys was brothers of uh, Michael Gunger. I don't know if you're familiar with the Gunger Yeah, band. sure. I've always been a fan of their music, the creativity that they engaged in and brought to all their music and the excellence. So um, this guy on our label, he was a, a publishing I songwriting yeah. yeah, like guru, just amazing guy. He was like, man, you guys got to hear this album. I think you'll love it. And he said, there's this song on there that I, I just, I, he said, I've been thinking of somebody like Toby Mac or Lecrae or somebody like that needs to do this song because it's really powerful and it just really speaks to the time. I think this was in about 2015 or 16. And so he let us hear, I don't even, I don't know if the project was out yet or not. He sent us like a Dropbox link and we began to listen to the album. I was like, oh man, some great music on here. And that song in particular stood out. I was like, man, there's something haunting about this song. And for me and Nerva, you know, being being a, an interracial couple in the South, like mm-hmm. we, had, we had faced some stuff, like even in my family, that we walked through in that journey that I was like, man, this song kind of has a, a message specifically for that issue that some people are still facing and uh you know still praying for kind of like that you know martin luther king dream (laughs) right to come to pass um with the different ethnicities under christ gathered together and and there's still work to be done in that area um and i think honestly as i listened to it i was like nerva i think we could carry this song potentially Mm -hmm. and then maybe toby would jump on it since you're you know close with it so i brought that idea to this person the label and he's like oh i love it so anyways that was kind of how the idea started for it and then like all that's i think while while we were recording it that very summer there's all those kind of shootings going on and if i'm not mistaken even um blm was like that's that was the inception of the uh, around that time when they came into being right um and so all this kind of stuff was happening so the the song kind of took a life when we first thought of it i was like you know what i think this will just be a little song that we do in our concert Mm -hmm. to um highlight our own story right and just talk about the 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 need for healing that still has to take place um within the body of christ and 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 what we can do together in that and so Mm -hmm. that was the initial thought well when all that stuff happened um, the label surprised us and they were like, hey, we love this song. We want to feature this song. We want to take this song to radio in the UK and in America. And so anyways, it ended up kind of taking on a life of its own and became, you know, we're we're probably like, you know, some of the least known artists on earth. But <laughs> but if we are if we are ever known by people uh, as a group, it's typically for that song. Oh, and okay. so that was kind of how it how it came about. And, and God opened up a lot of doors. For us, really, to even go around the world, South Africa, mm-hmm. um, the UK, London, yeah. um, and all this stuff, and, and share our story and talk about, like, really, just as, uh, you know, we were talking with you before this podcast began about your own study with the abolitionist movement mm-hmm. and the slavery and all that kind of stuff and, and the history of that. Um, but how it was grounded, really, in biblical Christianity, that was the only worldview that could really be used to, to make true progress in that area. So it, it, it gave us the opportunity to go around the world and, and really bring that message that, hey, many people are wanting to try to bring this reconciliation between races about, but they're trying to do it without the Christian framework. Sure. It's not only is it impossible, but it's antithetical. And here's the only way forward is to actually go back to these basic principles. And yeah, that was basically the song for us.
What struck me about it is there, I felt like uh, there was a little bit more depth to it than a lot of the songs that just kind of list everything wrong with you know, the world or what's wrong with America. You remember that song by the Temptations, Ball of Confusion? I don't. Well, it's a great song, but they're just listing everything that's wrong, but there's no solution, okay. really. Revolution, revolution, gun control, the sound of soul. Shooting rockets to the moon, kids going up for soon. Politicians say more taxes will solve everything. And the band played on. Even in the Christian world, especially during all the 2020 riots, I, I think there was a couple songs that we got to unify, you know, those type of things, but they didn't really say how. But I, I felt like yeah. with, with Brother, when you say, well, it kind of starts with you have to recognize within your enemy is your brother. Uh, I, I thought that was profound. Uh, hats off to uh, the fellow that you said wrote it. And I feel like I'm rambling now, but sometimes there's a lot of missed opportunities where I'm sure you've seen some of the skits where the record company is telling the, the artist to, you know, keep it as simple as possible and, yeah. and, as, and yeah. as vague as possible, you know, don't get specific. And that said, mm. I know you're a big fan of apologetics, as you mentioned. I noticed on uh, your album, One Voice, that you had some clips of really profound uh, things being said, like by some uh, preachers. And then you had uh, Ryan, is it Bomberger? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he just has like he says something for like a minute or two but you know it was again kind of strikes at the heart of a lot of things and i was thinking like it would be great if those things were made into songs have you ever thought about considering now you had this you know giant academic background of trying to you know put songs out that are you know, real complicated like that or that's a great question i'm gonna throw it to nerva here in a minute i've always had like at an intuitional level this desire to do stuff that I felt like had more substance. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I do recognize the challenges of that in the Christian music industry, because at the end of the day, if you are trying to make a living, which you need to do to be able to have the time to do creative work like that, then you there is a reality to needing to be more ambiguous, needing mm -hmm. to be more general, more broad. Uh, we've had those conversations. In fact, when we did the radio tour with Brother, a lot of the response was like, yeah, man, we really like this song, but I don't think we can play it. It's a little too poignant. Oh, man. Uh, oh. And so, like, w when it, it it initially had a lot of lift and took off, but eventually, you know, a couple of the bigger stations didn't play it because it was risky, hmm. and then it sort of tapered off. And so mm -hmm. there is that reality. Um, and so since then, we've been trying to figure out, okay, is there, Lord, is there a way we can do artistry and not necessarily depend on the music to make the money, but still have the time we need mm -hmm. to do that? So we're still, we're still working on that um, because I don't want uh, – like I just – I couldn't feel fulfilled as an artist and as a Christian to not take on these issues with mm -hmm. the complexities and, and even sometimes inherent confrontation that's involved in these types of things. So um, that, that has been our journey. and We did want to put those in one voice because what we were trying to do with that album was, you know, we wanted to get this idea there does need to be a biblical unity, but we didn't want it to be interpreted within the framework in our culture that is typically right there whenever you talk about unity, which is actually the opposite of biblical unity. So we wanted to make sure people understood when they listened to those um, little speeches that this is what we mean by unity. It's grounded in biblical truth. Right. That's the only kind of unity we should be aiming for. And, um, and, and so 
interestingly enough, Nerva in this very moment, <laughs> this very day is writing her thesis oh, yeah. on this topic. And I'll let her maybe share a little bit about that, what it is and, and how it goes along the lines of exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, that that's the the aim when you're making art is to use that vehicle to just just truly um, enlighten or challenge, encourage, uplift the the listener's ear. And um, there's there's lots of opportunity to do that in the times we're living in right now. And it's just a matter of, you know, sometimes we have to kind of wrestle with do we do we want to go hard in the paint or we just want to make a, mm-hmm. a song that that's palatable. But um it's great when you have spent time just really digging into these issues and it's it's animated in your soul and then you put music to it and I think that's when it's most authentic and really timely. But then you do that and then, um, you know, like he said, you run the risk of just it being a very powerful song but nobody wants to listen to it because <laughs> <That> nobody hears <laughs> they would rather yeah. hear the happy what do they call it happy clappy crappy yeah, our, thing literally would say you know yeah this can be hard because the, the stuff they want is happy clappy. yeah <laughs> you want to put out a song that by the time the person listens to it they're they're just happy they're mm-hmm. just lifted up and so but yeah i think um, we, we've resolved to just make art that flows from our hearts that's, that we've been kind of stewing on and that just kind of flows from our soul and what we've been, um, we feel God's been showing us in our, in our private time. Basically her, the short story of her thesis oh, yeah. Yeah. is like, she's, she's just like exploring the idea that, are, you know, asking the question, are we missing opportunities in CCM music? Oh, wow. To, to, to speak cultural issues because for whatever reason um there's a there's a huge gap there it wouldn't there's a tendency to speak about certain issues and leave others alone mm-hmm. like it's taboo to talk about anything that's controversial but if it involves diversity unity um they're on board if it's um if it's uh black tuesday everyone's on board but if it's Roe versus Wade right. or um, the indoctrination of kids in public schools or marriage. There's this sense to be a silence. And if you bring it up, it just sucks the air out of the room. And so I think the songs tend to reflect that. And um, that's what my paper's on. Can, are we missing an opportunity? Could we have more of a prophetic voice to speak into? And why is why is there a lack of voice in that? So I'm just exploring that. Mm-hmm. This may be kind of going off on a rabbit trail, but what you said about, you know, writing a, maybe a profound, fantastic song that nobody will end up hearing. Uh, and I understand that the industry has to, they got to eat, you know? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and th- there's a lot of factors. I, I've worked in Christian radio here and there. And I, I remember the meetings and kind of walking away, kind of depressed, <laughs> like, Oh man, <laughs> cause yeah. there were people trying to do things differently, but, um, I always think about the, you know, the filmmaker Richard Linkletter. He Mm-mm. he's kind of famous for he did like the School of Rock, for example, okay, which is yeah. a t- total popcorn film. But he he does like one or two of those, and then he'll do his art film that nobody will see except just a few people. But he can ju- <laughs> justify it uh, because he's made the big budget films. And mm. if you could just find some formula where they you make the happy clappies, but also you know, sneak in the 
a song that explains systematic theology in three minutes. <laughs> right? Yes, that's the challenge. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. That's no, that, that is that is a good point. Like, you know, there there might be times where that's, you know, wise to do that. Like, okay, you kind of, you do this over here that you don't sure. love. So you can do this over here that you feel more passionate about, for sure. I remember reading a poem, oh no, a letter. I think it's, it's Picasso. And in the letter, he, he said, you know, I've learned how to make the art that works and people just love it and they gravitate to it. But he was just kind of dealing with himself about it, but he knows it's mm. just kind of trite and right. it's, it's moneymaker. It's what sells, mm-hmm. but inside his soul was just kind of weeping in regards to that fact. And so, mm. you know, you could put a song out there that, you know, it's just matches what everyone else is doing and mm-hmm. it, it goes straight to number one. And, you know, we were even tempted with that. Yeah. You know, the label would bring us songs that weren't really us, but this will be a hit. Yeah. And we're like, yikes, you know. know. So and we, you're we literally would ask ourselves those moments, like, okay, if it does take off, are we going to be okay singing this every night yeah. for the next oh, <laughs> no. show years? You're thinking ahead, like, when you have a show in Vegas in your 60s, and, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. and you still got to sure. sing this stupid song. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and then you you couple that with tours. You're on tours with artists, and you hear the conversations. Okay, you're not you're not drawing seats. You need a hit song. You uh-huh. need a song that everybody can relate to, and it's a it's a chart topper. And and because of that, they don't make the next tour. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there's that temptation. Okay, what kind of artist are you going to become? And it's it's a character uh, decision. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to do what sells, quote unquote. And sometimes what's what's great art sells. Mm-hmm. And then but then you you know when you're tempted with with something that is not quite um, as integral as you wish. So right. that's the temptation. That's one of the earlier temptations I was kind of mentioning. I didn't mean to talk so much about this, but you got me thinking um the other day I was driving in the car and an ACDC song came on. And mm. those guys just know how to write a groove, right? In my opinion. Yeah. But, okay. But the lyrics are so stupid. I mean, they, they sound oh. like they were written by a, a kid in fifth grade who's you know just discovered uh, puberty or something. And, wow. and I yeah. think, you know, how hard could it be just to write a decent lyrics? Because nobody pays attention anyway, you know. Yep. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I joked to my wife, I says, I wish ACDC would let me write their lyrics and I would write about <laughs> about Harriet Tubman or something like that, you know. But uh, sometimes you can slip it in with the ear candy, I think. Yeah. And, and it may not strike people till later, like, oh, wow, they were talking about, you know, whatever. of songs nerva you got a song out right now or it's fairly recent the freedom fighter which i think is great you want to talk about how that came about sure you know i think uh maybe the 20 year 2020 we were out in california and everything kind of had shut down so we had lots of time to just kind of read and listen to podcasts and do some writing but i remember listening to a talk show with some pastors and they were just discussing the whole um, conversation about freedom mm-hmm. and rights and liberty and 
and all that. And they were just, you know, just, you know, just kind of trying to get to the heart of the matter and why people felt they wanted to, to reach a level of freedom, a level of uh, just released from bondage or, you know, mm-hmm. that whole talk. And which I think is a real, real talk. But um, I, as they went on and on and on, I was like, this that they desire is from Christ, mm-hmm. is from Jesus. And not to oversimplify it, but right. it's um, from Christ comes the power to to overcome things, to forgive, to get over bitterness, to to get creative, to learn a trade, to work hard, to advance. And, and um, yes, there are rough edges in our societies, but I think primarily I remember thinking, wow, this thing, this liberty that people desire, I think it's found in Christ primarily mm-hmm. no other place can can give it to you and i remember pondering uh reading about an interview with nelson mandela when he was released from prison and he said something like if i if i walk out of here and don't forgive the people who've offended me i'll remain in bondage mm-hmm. i'll yeah. stay bound and i said that power to recognize that mm-hmm to be lifted out of your situation. There are people in prisons who have more power and joy than people are walking, I believe, in Hollywood. And so I think it's just a mindset of understanding that Christ came to do these things for us. And so that's where the idea for the song came from. got me thinking about how I have conversations with, I have a lot of friends that are uh, Cuban exiles mm-hmm. right and okay. uh, you know, friends from you know the mainland in China and okay. you know they all seek freedom right and mm. then you know you talk long enough and I'll always say but you got to remember if you guys ever get your freedom then comes a different kind of trouble <laughs> you know Ooh, preach you so know? true and then you have to find how do you operate within yeah. freedom without destroying yourself Absolutely. and losing freedom again so <laughs> right Shelby Steele uh author writer he yeah. talks about that you know when when the slaves were free, they had to learn how to live free and how to be free. And so there's a, um, I think it's Os Guinness who talks about freedom. There's no true freedom without virtue. And so, you know, you can have the, the true freedom is the power to do what you ought mm-hmm. to do, not what you just want to do that could lead to more bondage. Right. And so those kinds of talks and things, I think that that was to spark the song. So let's talk about some of the uh, the hairy stuff that's probably happened for you all recently in the last couple okay. of years. This whole phenomenon in the church, and the church has always been divided here and there for different reasons uh, throughout history. Uh, now you have the church divided against itself over progressivism on one side, and then you have, I guess, maybe evangelicals or conservatives on the other side. It gets nasty. It's, it's sad. So talk about when you first started to notice that that was creeping into the music industry and like, what was your first reaction to it? I think 
during the elections is when I first noticed, you know, on the tour buses, we'd have these deep political talks Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would get a little heated. And I think they were good talks and necessary talks. Mm -hmm. Somehow along the way, I think through social media, we learned to see someone we disagree with as our enemy. And I think with the way we lash out on Twitter and all these other outlets, it's like, oh, gosh, if you if you say anything against me, you know, you're, you're an enemy. And I think the art of just true discussing things and biblically having a lens by which to, to talk through it, I think in increasing measures, political parties begin to guide our conversations. So if you lean towards this side, you regurgitate what they said. And then if you lean the other way, that's when I first noticed it, certainly during the elections um, mm-hmm. and so on. What about you, said? Yeah, no, that's good. I think I think you're right on a on a certain level, for sure. I think to to kind of broaden out a little a little wider on this topic, when we were doing young adult ministry in Florida, in 2000, what year was that? 2010? 12, um, I think. And even before that, probably, I think I came across this book called Kingdom Triangle by J.P. Moreland, I don't know, mid, like maybe 2005 or so. Um, and I was already very much into apologetics at the time. So we would have these talks with, you know, just getting to any topic on the bus or whatever you're talking with people. And I, I began to recognize that people weren't really equipped with a biblical worldview. Right. And you remember I was talking about that, babe, and just the need to like have the, I was like, man, we got to, we need to have these conferences or something like to equip the music industry um, because they just don't think biblically. So I get this book, Kingdom Triangle, and he's talking in that book about a three-way worldview struggle that was taking place in the West in general and in America in particular. And it was the three-way worldview struggle between scientific naturalism, mm-hmm. postmodernism, and Christian theism. And he also talked about the influence of Eastern mysticism and that kind of thing. But he saw, like, in the universities, those th- three main um, factors involved. Mm-hmm. What was happening, um, you know, at the time, it was more the Richard Dawkins, the Christopher Hitchens, the, you know, the God sure. is Dead, yeah. uh, New Atheist movement was, was popular. Um, but I was noticing just how flimsy people were. They didn't have the the armor mm-hmm. to to combat these ideologies. So I was already I was already concerned about that. So we go and do the young adult ministry. We tried to do our best to equip people with that. But again, we noticed like all these young people that are in church, they're doing the worship music. They're list. They're you know they're doing the, their Lifeway Bible studies. But again, they're they're going into these universities. They they have nothing to combat um, whatever they're learning on a daily basis. So fast forward to the political issues. I think what the political issues did, like to a degree, nervous nervous right about that. It did like, um, and and sometimes in a thoughtless way, it kind of made people overly partisan. Mm-hmm. But at a deeper level, it actually exposed something that was already there. And that actually is even deeper than politics, right. which is worldview. So if you've read uh, Bodie Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, I would rec- highly recommend that book to anybody. But what he's talking about is this era we're in right now is exposing the fault lines that have been underneath the land for you know, forever, but we just ha- haven't known it. Mm-hmm. And now that they're moving, this earthquake is happening in the evangelical world. It's putting people on on different sides and not all of that can merely be written off as politics Um, some of that actually does go all the way to the level of basic fundamental outlooks on reality and god and human beings 
And so I think for us, it's been that discovery of like, oh, wow, like so many more people than I even thought. Like I, I, I did see that early on the seed form. I was like, man, these guys are ripe for being picked off. Um, these guys are ripe for like not standing strong if things ever get rough. What I didn't see happening was postmodernism coming in and basically supplanting scientific naturalism. And that has come through the form of critical race theory, sure. critical theory, oh, all these things yeah. are um, certain applications of the postmodern philosophy. And so what happened is many of the so-called progressive Christians, when you read them, you're like, man, I don't know if I can call this Christianity because it's really just picking and choosing a couple verses here and there, but it's really a different worldview. Mm -hmm. And so the, the hard part becomes, okay, what are these issues where, okay, we need to extend grace and we need to understand that among brothers and sisters, we can disagree. And I think Norm Geisler is helpful here. He talks about the different um, kind of concentric circles, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you have kind of that, that, that core that you have to agree on to be a Christian, right? Um, you know, that God is, God exists. That he's triune that, you know, Jesus is the second person. Yeah. Trinity. He died for our sins, the, yeah. the dual natures of Christ, all these kind of basic orthodox positions. And then you have the one just outside of that a little further out. That's like eschatology. And some would say, you know, the gifts of the spirit and women in ministry. Um, and many would say, you know what, we could, we probably need to have separate churches for separate positions in those areas, but we can still call each other brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the third area, I was like, carpet color you know do we have choir do we do traditional <laughs> worship or contemporary worship All right and that's you know that's that's definitely stuff you don't want to get up in arms about mm -hmm. the question we're facing right now is is the lgbtq issue is it more in the core or is it a secondary issue like women in ministry mm -hmm. um is critical race theory more in the core or is it a secondary issue like eschatology now the more i've studied this stuff i would argue that it's closer to the core I think that um, if you're going to say that um, if 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 you're going to say that it's it's acceptable to God to live a lifestyle of a homosexual, or to um, to be transgender, or to engage in pedophilia, or whatever it might be, part of the the alphabet letter thing, mm -hmm. I think that that puts you at a praxis level outside of orthodoxy. And so in those cases, I don't think we can merely agree, agree to disagree, disagree. Right. but I still think we can be civil, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you have to kind of tease out of that discussion because I think civility is, is going by the wayside mm -hmm. and we have to retain that. But we also have to have the courage to even challenge some of our kind of big evangelical leaders that are trying to soften things that don't yeah. need to be softened. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're doing that in the name of not wanting to be political. Um, and they're hiding behind that label when actually it's much deeper than politics. And, and sort of to go back to that story of ab abolition and, and slavery, like that was a political issue of the day, but it was deeper than that. It had to do with the very nature of humanity and the very nature of freedom. Mm -hmm. And so there were lots of churches that kind of did the same thing back then. They didn't want to get involved in that because it was controversial. They didn't want to alienate people. So they said, well, we don't want to be political. Right. And that's what Ryan Bomberger said in that track. He's an abolitionist in a sense against um, abortion, right? He's, he's always working in that area. And he said, you know, thank God the abolitionists didn't allow themselves to be canceled or didn't fear being canceled and get out of that debate because of that fear. 
but they understood that because we're all made in God's image, that it's not merely a political issue, but they had to be involved in it as a Christian follower. The thing I've been learning the last few years is, is how to separate those issues out a little bit. And, and, and I've, we've tried to do our best to help people understand, you know, there, there are times biblically where you divide. But there is also an emphasis on unity, and it's got to be taken on a case-by-case basis. And you have to be steeped in biblical language and wisdom and the Spirit to understand which is which. (laughs) The thing I have been struggling with, especially since Roe versus Wade was overturned, is I've had a lot of friends, some Christians, some not, basically say, okay, uh, I'm drawing the line here. If you don't agree with me on this, then, you know, we're not friends anymore. And yeah. they've really done that. I, I was shocked because I thought, oh, maybe they're just mad and all of a sudden they're not returning calls or I'm deleted off their social media. And of course, it's, it's hard not to let it hurt you. And then, of course, you, you go through the different phases, I guess, of grief and you think, on my best days, I see it as, you know, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. But <laughs> on my worst days, I think, well, if you want to jump off the cliff, then I don't want to get in your way. So, yeah, sure. yeah. And I'm trying to find out what, what's that, what is the the most helpful position to take, or how do you deal with folks that are, have, are angry? A lot of people have been hurt, of course, for various reasons, uh, but maybe by the church or, or uh, politics, and you, you can see how that fuels what their uh, beliefs are. Do you have any personal experience in this, and how have you dealt with it? Oh, yeah. I mean... Even in our my own family, there's been like heated disagreements and breaks in communication. You know, I I try like you to be Christ-like and to um, extend grace and to uh, remind myself that you know I, that is that is a sister in Christ, a dear um, image bearer that. Anything can happen if they were to pass on the next day. How how would my interaction with them have affected their thinking, their soul, their countenance? And so, you know, it's case by case for me because sometimes there are relationships that are kindred spirit. And then there are others that are acquaintance and mm-hmm. just a little bit of pressure dissolves, unfortunately. But I, I, I still try to have a love in my heart for people who are um, really, really um, thinking differently from me and have a different worldview than than mine. And to it's it's a dance of, okay, God, how much do I invest here and how much do I just lift my hands and say, okay, you've got them. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But um, for me, it's case by case. I have a dear friend who over the years we've been friends since college and she's an atheist and I don't, don't, it's just an interesting journey. Our friendship has become really, really real and things have gotten so crazy in our culture that we're starting to agree more on more things and have more real talks. And so, um, I try to exercise patience and remember that, you know, it's funny because I remember reading a post on um, Facebook, uh, one of my classmates, where she's a little bit more impassioned with the abortion issue and she's vocal about it on Facebook. And then um, she had one of her uh, followers or friends 
just say, well, if you feel that way, then I'm, I'm disregarding you. And you're, she just unfollowed her. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I wouldn't know what that feels like. You've just aborted me. Oh, no. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like that, you know, not, not that's not necessarily my approach. Right. But um, it's real and it's out there. And for me, it's case by case. There are many times when I'm like hung up the phone, like I'm not calling that person back again. Mm-hmm. And of course I do. Right. So I let time I let just um, the emotions settle a little bit and then just take a break and then um, come back to it a little bit later when when the opportunity presents itself, if it presents itself. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. And you know what? Yeah, to be honest, Tim, like there's been times where I haven't done this the best in the past couple of years, for sure. Like, the, you know, this has been probably the one of the most intense seasons, <laughs> even for people that I've talked to that are older. They're like, man, they're just, you know this is one of the craziest times they've experienced in this country um, where passions are high. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the, the volatile nature of the debate and how it's really um, heightened by social media creates even greater challenges. So it's, it, it really is hard what nervous said. And she's, she does a lot better job at this than I've done. Um, but I feel like we're both learning and growing. And I think um, so, so probably Six years ago, I was like, you know, man, we just we got to all be winsome no matter what. And we just got to be super gentle. Yeah. And I still think that's the approach we try to take. Um, That's that's what we feel called to do. That's kind of our expression. But I also think there's room now. I get it where people are are called to be kind of the brawler and the street fighter and they have their own kind of thing. And some of them I get, um, and, I, and I think there's purpose in that, and, and I see biblical precedent for that, but you have to be careful with that. I don't know that I can handle those weapons as, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as much in the spirit as, as some folks, so I, I take a different route. But the, the, way, the way that we've been going about it is, okay, we know this issue is going to be crazy, like heated mm-hmm. for the next week. I, I think of like my, our, our friend Neil Shinby, when the election, you know, happens, he always posts cat photos for two days. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. And uh, like, you know, um, there there is that element of like, man, let the let the passion blow over yeah. about it, and we can have better discussions with some of these folks. And Nerva has really stayed in some of these conversations, and and we've tried to reach back out to friends that have we've kind of grown distant from throughout all these battles mm-hmm. over the last few years, even some that we've ministered with throughout the, mm-hmm. um, the past uh, several years. And so I, I'm coming back to this place of like, okay, Lord, give me the wisdom I need and the strength I need when, yeah. when, because there is a time for a harsh word and there is a time to be confrontational. Right. Um, there's also a lot of wisdom in knowing like how to bring a, a, a soft word turns away wrath, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath and to be slow to speak. And um, that when you do, doing it wisely, and, and I'm thinking like like a surgeon almost, like I, I do uh-huh. want to help and I do need to understand that these people have been taken captive in many cases by the spirit of the age, by the enemy. And if I'm going to be a good, you know, a, a faithful Christian who's engaged in, in tearing down these speculations, I have to learn how to do that with wisdom intact. What are you going to say that? Yeah, the hardest thing for me or one of the hard things was to watch people that I really love and admire up close come to a place where I I just cannot go with them and follow Mm -hmm. them and I that that's the new thing for me that people that I really look up to 
either they become woke or they are just um, fallen very, very um, to the liberal side. And I, I, that's the part I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, I think respect and still willing their good, disagreeing, you know, but not um, just remaining Christ-like about it all. <laughs> that's been the hard part, the, the people that, I get it if people who are um, just haven't, uh, Doven into the issues deeply or haven't studied, they're just kind of flowing with culture, but people that you really look up to and have been leaders in your life, that, that's been really hard, really challenging. You, you both touched on the, the different approaches, and sometimes there's a, a season for all of it, I guess. And I, again, I can't help but think of history, and especially mm. the struggle against slavery in the United States. On or one extreme, you had uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who was an abolitionist, and he was for immediate emancipation for every, everybody. And if they yeah. weren't going to do it, then fine, let the southern states go. He said no union with slave masters, right? He was ready for the country to break apart. He didn't care. And he even called the U.S. Constitution a covenant with hell, right? Because yeah. it didn't get yeah. rid of slavery, right? And then kind of a little bit more in the center, you had uh, Frederick Douglass, who was a... Uh, a protege of Garrison at one point, but uh, he's like, no, no, if we let the South go, then there's no hope for the slaves there. They're never getting free. You know, we have to mm-hmm. you know, stay together. That's the only way we can, you know, you know finally uh, root out the poison or the, the cancer. And then you had Lincoln, who was even a little bit further to the center than Douglas was. They were in agreement on a lot of things, but, uh, and it's funny, the more moderate guy in the end, Lincoln, was the guy who emancipated the slaves. But I contend, I contend you needed all three at the same time. Kind of, this is a very kind of Taoist outlook, but you know, all three of them from their different approaches were probably doing the Lord's work. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, um, Tim. And that's what, that's what I've been, you know, when, when you're doing the kind of stuff we're doing too, like we're listening to different people and, and I have come to appreciate, you know, you have your, I don't know if you're familiar with these guys, but you have your 80 Robleses that are you know, going hard in the paint, <laughs> like, you know, just calling these guys out by name and roasting them every day. Yeah. You, got the people, you know, they're a little, you, you have the whole spectrum and, and, you know, it, it's, it is an ideological battle. It is a war um, that we're involved in. And we've always, you know, that is the, the testimony of scripture. I think we do have to find our place in that and, and fight it. And we're fighting for those people that are even captive. You know, there's, I don't know if you follow um, the Center for Biblical Unity, I believe. Yeah, if you're not familiar with them, they have a great podcast as well. But there's a lady, uh, Krista Von Traeger is her name. She used to be with um, Reasons to Believe, Hugh Ross's organization. And she's a great, you know, great thinker, a scholar. Um, she met this other young lady named Monique Dusan, um, and they were great friends. And Monique is African-American. Chris is, you know, I don't know what her background is, white lady. But Monique was bit, really taken in by the woke ideology. But they were great friends, and it, they walked through it for mm-hmm. it took them like a year and a half yeah. or two years. And by the end of that two years, Monique became like an avid spokesperson for reconciliation and against critical race theory, wow. and completely um, yeah. changed her mentality on it. And now her and Krista do ministry together all around, really the world and the nation, and helping organizations and churches do biblical reconciliation. And so anyways, like, I tend to be quick to throw in the towel. Like, man, if they don't see this by now, they're never going to see it. But I have to be like, I have to be more patient. Yeah. And um, and as long as they're willing to talk, 
like, okay, let's let's keep going. Let's keep going and see see if like by the power of the Spirit, you know, He'll grant repentance. And we all need that. You know, there's all areas we have things off, and we've had people be patient with us enough to walk us kind of out of that error and into um, a, a truer biblical position on things. I want to talk about your podcast not to uh blow smoke up your rear ends but it's fantastic and i've sent certain episodes to various friends for different reasons i see now i'm starting to sound like a fanboy but you're touching on a lot of these things that we're we're uh, just now you don't even touch into it. you you dive into it pretty deeply where we're kind of on the surface of some of these issues and you have some great guests on you mentioned nil shimby of course and uh Alyssa childers you know the list goes on uh are you still Continuing the podcast, I know you've had some trouble uh, here and there. Uh, <laughs> well, first, yeah, first of all, thank you so much. Thank Tina. you. That really, man, it means a ton. Like, it started as a faith walk for us. Like, we literally were just like, Lord, here's what we have in our hands. It's not much, and mm-hmm. well, we'll, you know, we'll get out there and talk about these things if you want. And so we just started, and here, and here we are. So, yeah, we we have been so busy this year that we've been trying to do our best to do a weekly episode, but it's just been crazy. Right. And our goal is to get back. I think we're, we're supposed to do a new one this week with Sam say, yeah, we're continuing that. I'm hoping uh, there's, there's a bit of a shift going on in my life with regard to jobs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I'm actually going to have more time coming up to, to be able to do this. I'm hoping to get back to at least doing one a week and, uh, and, and, and try to do our best to give a, you know, a biblical perspective or at least, you know, a thoughtful discourse on these items and, and some of those same people you know they're, they've become friends over the years and we're doing that impact 360 camp next week again uh, elisa will be there um with us monique will be there um sean mcdowell uh, a few others so you know yeah we're, we're keeping on keeping on keeping on and we really appreciate that that feedback man i guess well, i was talking about your trouble i guess it maybe now is just a badge of honor that youtube pulled one of your episodes <laughs> yes 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 so yeah it's funny man it's it's really crazy what youtube is doing now um with all that stuff if you mention certain terms and you don't tow the narrative line they want you to tow they just they just t- take it off so they they we i don't even think we went that hard on that particular episode we were just playing some videos of fauci um from like a year uh-huh. ago and showing just kind of how he was you know taking on a completely different um perspective than he did a year ago on some of these issues like vaccines and masks and yeah they just took it down said you got one strike and you know two more take your channel down so we decided to do just a little funny apology video and (laughs) and since then we 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 literally just haven't had time to do our next one but but because of that to be honest we are going to start putting everything we we've already started putting everything on rumble right but we're going to start doing certain episodes that we know they're going to take down on youtube on rumble only Uh Um, and that's just you know that's just the way it's going to have to be but we do want to kind of get into some of the weirder stuff that's going on with the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and all these kind of mm-hmm. crazy like you know movie villains and <laughs> uh, but as soon as you start kind of getting into that stuff on YouTube you get you get the strikes going so that's that's kind of where that's at but we're going to continue to put them on YouTube and the the podcast outlets as long as we can and, and and really our goal for this season is because we've been wrestling through and trying to 
say, okay, Laura, we don't want to be swept into the emotion of just being reactionary on all mm-hmm. these topics, but we want to we want to really have a, a theology of of, of worldview and politics. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've been studying a lot, like, okay, what is the connection between politics and the gospel, or at least politics and God's law, um, and and how should we be involved? Should is there are there elements of it that really they're really extra biblical and don't really matter, or do these things are they implications of of scripture and if so how do we approach these things as christians mm-hmm. and even things like romans 13 like what is our responsibility mm-hmm. do we ju- just obey the government no matter what or are there exceptions to that if so what are those exceptions so mm-hmm. we've been doing a lot of study in those areas and that's that's our hope this season is to lay out kind of a foundation because we know that that stuff is going to intensify again either this next election season we're going into in the fall but mm-hmm. definitely 2024 mm-hmm. we just want people to have a proactive approach to understand these issues at a little deeper level so that they can then begin to apply it in real time and not just be reacting to all the craziness that's likely going to happen. Yeah, it's real funny you say that. My uncle the other day said you don't want to be defined by what you're not. And mm-hmm. right. he was a pastor in the Nazarene church, and he felt that, that they had went that route where he, he talked he even talked about a little track that was put out called I'm a Nazarene and not a Baptist because I'm a Nazarene <laughs> and not a Catholic because you know people kind of got ate up with what they weren't and it was kind of hard to tell what they were. On, on the one hand, like Os Guinness is right, contrast is the mother of clarity, right? And uh, that's true. So do it, it can help, mm-hmm. but I think he's exactly right. If the main thing you're known for is I'm not that guy, <laughs> <laughs> then you're probably like you know you're missing it. You yeah. might not be presenting. The, quite the positive case that right. and that that really is what what we've been trying to get involved with and, and and if you go back and listen to i think it was either the first or second episode of this season we we went through a talk a, a little blog by this guy named jared longshore and he was talking about the three camps of evangelicalism and kind of where they're at mm-hmm. and the third camp that he mentioned that he's actually a part of is called the kyparian reformed kyparianism and what you know, whether or not you agree with those guys in Moscow, Idaho, and Douglas Wilson, all those guys or not, what I appreciate about what they're doing, they really are trying to not just tear down everything that negative coming their way, but they're really building something positive. Um, they're really involved in culture building from a biblical perspective, and trying to like engage politics, not not merely towing what they would say is the conservative line, where progressives want to go off the cliff at 100 miles per hour, but conservatives go off the same cliff at 50 miles per hour. <laughs> Um, but they're saying no, no, no. We got to build something going the opposite direction. Sure, it's got to be biblical. And so, yeah, that 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 is. I think there's something to that. Yeah, we got to face those things as they come, but we also need to build something positive. If you're still in a music mood, you might check out. In the corner back by the woodpile, episode 262, where filmmaker Todd Zeller talks about his upcoming documentary on the late Gene Eugene, leader of the band Adam Again. Or if you're still wanting to chew on conflicts theological, we had a few episodes called That to Which We Are Tethered, starting on 184, where we discussed some of us with the type of faith journeys that bring about unwelcomed feelings both inside and outside the church proper. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, 
you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs>